All right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 2. If you have the Version Bible app, I'm in the CSB, and so you can follow along word for word. We've given you an outline as well. It'll be on the screen. Uh, we'll be in several different places, but primarily here in Proverbs chapter 2. This is a, a two-part uh, message as a part of this series, The Healthy Christian. And so next week, we're going to um, kind of go a little bit deeper in what we're talking about today. But as you turn there, I wonder how many people have ever used a metal detector to hunt for um, treasure, to hunt for hidden things. Uh, I've always wanted to, but I've never had the opportunity to actually uh, get to do it. Uh, growing up in the 80s, it was like a big thing you would see on TV, and um, I guess they advertised it even in some of the uh, magazines or the uh, different catalogs and things. Used to, you got a catalog for Christmas, and you could search through it and things like that. Now it's online, but that was always cool at Grandma's house um, to sit there and circle things you wanted for Christmas and stuff like that. And I remember seeing metal detectors and always wanted to use one to go hunt for things, but never uh, got the opportunity to do that. Um, I worked with a man uh, several years ago that he would take one out on the weekends and he would go into South Carolina and some of the old um, Civil War like battlefields and encampments and things like that and would search for different um, artifacts and would find like buttons to uniforms and little, you know, bullets uh, or what were bullets back then. And, um, and it was really neat on Mondays to see the things that he found in the different artifacts. And sometimes he would find all kinds of, you know, like forks and things that would be, you know, buried in the earth. Um, but if you're the adventurous type like that guy was, um, there are all kinds of hidden treasures all around the world. Um, in fact, one in particular is the Spanish treasure fleet. Now, I know some of y'all love Florida. Some of y'all are from Florida. Um, and so you may be familiar with this area um, that I'm going to share in just a moment. But in 1712, Spain was hurting financially pretty badly after their um, war of secession. So in 1715, Spain dispatched 11 um, galleon ships containing pearls, emeralds, um, gold, uh, you name it, like all kinds of different silver and wealth from Cuba to Spain because they needed the money really bad. And so it was one of um, the biggest treasure fleets ever dispatched in history. And so the captain of this ship, for some re reason, the commanding officer decided to wait until hurricane season to send these 11 ships from Cuba to Spain. And so all of the ships sunk um, in transport to Spain. I don't know exactly where they sunk, but all um, but four of those treasure ships have been found. So if you're the adventurous type and you want to take a trip down in that general region um, and go diving, you may can find some treasure. In fact, there is a, a stretch of land uh, called Treasure Coast in Florida where um, treasure uh, normally will, will wash up on shore from time to time. One of those ships in particular called the San Miguel um, is thought to have been carrying just by itself about what would be valued today two billion dollars worth of treasure. And so, once again, if you're the adventurous type, um, you can go searching for this treasure. Just remember, since I told you about it, um, if you find it, um, you need to be very generous um, because we do have renovation debt to pay off. So um, do not forget your friends at New Passion. And so um, 
but, but pirates were notorious for taking their treasures and taking their loot and putting it into chest and burying it so that they could one day come back and get that and one day come back and, and find it. And so there's treasure maps and all these things that we've seen on movies, all these things that we know about when it comes to hunting treasure. Um, and so the ocean's, ocean floors are littered with sunken ships that have different artifacts and different treasures and things like that. And so there's plenty of opportunity for us to go search for hidden treasure, to go search for this great wealth that is all throughout the world. Um, in fact, uh, God calls us to the adventure of hunting valuable treasure. Uh, we see this in scripture. We're going to see this today, that this is something he actually calls us to. But unlike the treasures of the sunken ships and um, the, the treasure chests that have been buried by the pirates, what he wants to give us in abundance in the treasures that he has for us is worth far more than those um, treasures, worth far more than, those, than, 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 that, than that loot, than those treasure chests. It's worth far greater to our lives than any of those things. In fact, some people believe that those treasures will benefit them so much that they've devoted years of their life to search for it. One guy in particular, over 36 years of his life, he has devoted to finding treasure. For, for some people, they've lost their life hunting for this treasure. And yet God calls us to the adventure of hunting treasure, valuable treasure, searching for it. And yet it doesn't cost us our life in the way that we would think but it benefits our life. It's there for us to find. It's there for us to, to seize. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says this, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures, then you will find or you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Solomon tells us that we can intimately know God. There is no greater treasure and no greater reward in this life than knowing God intimately. We've said that quite often, that Jesus is our great reward. Um, he is the fulfillment of every spiritual promise ever given to us in all of scripture, in all of history, everything that God ever promised to mankind is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We see that given to us in Ephesians. But, but you can intimately know the creator of the universe. You can intimately know the God who has created you, the God who loves you, the God who loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. There is no greater treasure and there is no greater reward than having that relationship with him. In fact, the number one question that I hear and that most people, if you've grown up in church, if you've been in church leadership, have heard, it's often the question of how do I know God's will for my life? Or, or what is God's will for my life? But, but there's something more important than knowing what God wants from you. See, see, that can um, kind of put you in this category of always trying to achieve and always trying to earn and always trying to um, gain God's um, affection or his attention or his approval. And, and so we can get trapped in this um, cycle of trying to um, figure out this math code of uh, honoring God or, 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 or getting his approval, getting his, his approval for us. But there's something more important than that, and that's knowing God. 
Because when you know him personally and you know him intimately, then you will know his heart. Then you'll know his ways. Then you'll know it's about a relationship. It's not this transaction of I'm going to do this and I'm going to fulfill this and I'm going to get the math equation, the religion, religious math equation together and then he'll, he'll approve of me, he'll accept of me. But instead, I know him intimately, like you would know your child, like you would know your spouse. You, you know them personally, and we can know God according to Scripture. But Solomon tells us having this kind of knowledge of God is conditional. It's dependent on certain things. It requires certain things of us. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. By God's common grace, he allows even the wicked to, to have knowledge. Even people who don't have a relationship with God through Jesus ha have great wisdom and have great knowledge and great understanding of certain things. But what Scripture tells us is that without the, the reverence, without the fear of God, then, then those people, even though they might have great knowledge, don't have a deeper understanding for the meaning of these things. They might understand concepts and they might understand how to make things work or how to make uh, things um, function. And they might be very smart when it comes to like book smart and education and those type things. But, but what we understand here is when we have the fear of the Lord, when we have a reverence for him, he gives us a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge of the meaning of these things, the meaning of life. And so a reverence towards God is, according to Scripture, the starting point to obtain that kind of knowledge, the, the knowledge of God, to know his heart, to know his ways. And this is why we see a world going crazy. We see a, a, a world that is full of human ideas and human knowledge and human understanding. What's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. What's up is down and what's down is up. Like, like you look at it, if you have any amount of knowledge, biblical knowledge, a spiritual knowledge, any kind of spiritual eyes, and you look at the world around us, and you go, something is not right. So, something just doesn't make sense. A lot of things don't make sense, even just looking logically. And so we see a world who is puffed up with what they would say is knowledge, and they would actually um, say that you're not as educated when it comes to certain things because of how we have progressed and how we are gaining new um, insights and this enlightenment. And yet you look from spiritual eyes and from a knowledge that God gives you a deeper knowledge and go, this isn't right. That's wrong, but the world says it's right. That's left, but they say it's right. That's right, but they say it's left. What's wrong is right. What's right is wrong. What's up is down, what's down is up. Why? Because there's not a reverence for God. There's not a respect, there's not a fear of God. And so Solomon told us to have this kind of reverence and intimate knowledge of God would require certain things. Like, like if you want to have that knowledge of God, that intimate knowledge of God, if you want to have that understanding of right things, then it's going to require certain things. And you can write this down, a healthy Christian makes wisdom a central part of their life. A healthy Christian makes wisdom a central part of their life. Wisdom is this by definition, the quality or state of being wise, knowledge of what is true or right, 
coupled with just judgment as to action. So what it's saying is you have an understanding, a knowledge of what is true and right, but also that's coupled with the judgment in how to act on that, how to put that into practice. Sagacity, um, that is being sharp in making mental judgments, discernment or insight. And so it says it's the state of being wise. What does it mean to be wise? To be wise is having the power of discerning and judging properly as to what is true or right, possessing discernment, judgment, or discretion. And so a healthy Christian is going to be wise. A healthy Christian is going to make wisdom the central part of their life um, outside of that relationship with Christ pursuing that wisdom, embracing that wisdom. Wisdom is what gives us discernment and sound judgment when we need to make decisions about just about every aspect of life. Parenting. If you're a parent, you, you, you will experience, because I'm there, and, and some of you are beyond where I'm at, and some of you are, are, are on, on the hills, like you're not there yet. Some of you might not have children, and so you might take notes and say, ah, oh, that won't be for me like many other people do until you experience it yourself. And you go, okay, that was for me. I was wrong. I was ignorant. Because as a baby, when your child's a baby, you've never had a baby. So you don't know what to do. You don't know why they continuously cry. You've changed their diaper, you've fed them, and then you find out, well, they're teething or, or whatever else would cause them to cry. It doesn't matter. You're learning. You need wisdom because you don't have wisdom. You're, you're, you're ignorant in that. But then as they get older and they're toddlers, you've never raised a toddler. So what do I do as a parent to raise a toddler? I don't know. I need wisdom. Because when that toddler grows up and gets older, then they become a teenager. I've never had teenagers. And now um, there, there's all kinds of complications and all kinds of um, you know, different aspects of raising a teenager. And so I need wisdom in being a good parent to lead them in a Christ-like way. And so just in parenting, there's a constant need for wisdom and knowledge and understanding what is true, what is right. How do I discern what to do? Because this worked for them, but this worked for them. And so what do I do as a parent? And so as a parent, we need wisdom. We need wisdom in managing finances. It's one thing that they don't do a really good job of doing in, in school is teaching how to manage finances you don't go to school and learn how to be married. And so in all of these things in life, whether it be managing finances or choosing healthy relationships or marriage, communication, protecting oneself from danger, uh, managing your time, your, your identity as a person, your sexual behavior, among many other things, in every decision in life, you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need knowledge. You're going to need understanding. And so what the whole uh, definition of wisdom is, is being wise, having that knowledge, having a sound judgment, having good discernment when making decisions. And so if we're going to do that, because that's why we can look through life and we can look through the world right now, we can say we need wisdom. We, we, our world needs wisdom. 
See, because what you see in the scripture and, and, and what you see here in Proverbs chapter 2 is if you follow it out, and we're going to look at some of the, 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 the truths of this, but he says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom, and he goes through this progression, and what he says at the very end is then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you'll have an understanding, a wisdom of this reverence of the Lord, and you'll discover discover the knowledge of God. You'll, you'll discover this, how you can have an intimate knowledge of God. And the reason why is because as you do these things, as you follow this wisdom given to us in scripture, what you'll find is, is that God is the author of all wisdom. He is the author of all truth. He is the author of what is right that we need to have a perspective of and that we need to be able to discern. So as we pursue God and we grow in this intimate knowledge of him, we're going to grow in our wisdom, in our discernment of what is right and what is true and what is good. It's going to give us sound judgment. Why? Because we're going to know God. We're going to know his heart. We're going to know his plans. And so the first thing that you can write down here with this is a healthy Christian, number one, receives godly instruction and commits it to practice receives godly instruction and commits it to practice. Solomon writes this as um, he is writing to his son. And so he is speaking. He's considered the wisest man to have ever lived, of course, outside of Jesus. And so here he is writing to him saying that if you will listen to my instructions and if you'll commit my commands to your heart, if you'll commit them to your life, then, and he, and he continues on, what is he saying? If you'll listen to this godly advice, if you'll listen to my instructions. So, so that instruction can come from spiritual leaders, can come from pastors, it can come from um, teachers, it can come from parents, it can come from grandparents, it can come from the spiritually el spiritual elders that are more mature than you. It doesn't matter. You can be 80 years old and a 25-year-old be more mature spiritually just because of maybe where you have come to faith in Christ, how much you've studied. But it's a tragedy that in our church that we might have 70, 60, 70-year-old Christians who have been in church, who have professed a faith in Christ for many years, and yet they still consider themselves to be spiritually immature or to be um, ignorant of godly things. It shouldn't be that way. It, it, as you um, mature or, or as you grow in the years that you um, are in a relationship with God through Christ, then your maturity should be growing. Why? Because the Bible says that the older should teach the younger. So the longer you've been in a relationship with Christ, the longer you've been in church growing and maturing, the more that you should be able to pass on to other people. Why? Because we all need to be in a position where we can receive godly instruction and commit it to practice. Because that's what wisdom is. It's the discernment. It's the sound judgment. It's the, the coupling of having the judgment to act on what is right and what is true. And so we don't just hear it, hear the word, but we act on it. We do the word. And so commend yourself for those who are here today, for, for, for placing yourself in a position to where you can receive biblical instruction. You, you can receive the instructions from God's word, but then don't let it end here. Commit it into practice. Commit it into action in your life. Community groups, commend yourself for taking that step, for being committed to those things. 
If you're not, that's why we invite you to group link. Why? Because we want to, to put you into a place where you can value spiritual growth in your life because as a church, we value spiritual growth. And so we want you to be able to uh, receive godly instruction, but then it's on you to commit it into your life. The second one is this, a healthy Christian tunes into wisdom to have understanding. And, and so the scripture here says that you're directing your heart towards understanding. You're walking in that way. You're pointing your life in that way. That's what you're pursuing. You're pursuing to understand. You're listening for wisdom. You're listening for the truth. So this is the person who seeks to know and understands truth with their life. That this means we remain teachable. We listen to those older Christians. We listen to those spiritual leaders. We listen to those people who can lead us well and lead us in a godly way. We don't get arrogant and puffed up thinking that we know it all, thinking that we already have the answers, thinking that we've already heard this scripture, we've already heard this Bible story or whatever, and we tune it out. We can always grow. We can grow from one another. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been in church. Every one of us can continue to learn at every turn of life. Number three, a healthy Christian asks for insight and guidance from the wise. Um, the, the scripture says that they call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding. And so this is in life, we seek to learn and grow once again from those elder Christians, from those spiritual leaders and those who show sound judgment. So, so as we go through life, we look to those who are living in a way that honors God. We look at those who are maybe doing well financially. We look to those who are godly parents and leading their homes in a godly way. We look to those who are making wise choices in their life, and we ask for wisdom. We ask God for wisdom. We'll see this towards the end of the message, that we all have the ability to ask God for wisdom, to give us that knowledge, to give us that understanding. And so we ask for insight. We ask for guidance from the wise. And then the fourth thing is this, we diligently, um, a, a healthy Christian diligently searches for wisdom. This is a passionate, never-ending pursuit, it, like it's hidden gold, silver, or jewels. Because that's what he tells us. He tells us that in multiple different places throughout Proverbs, to, to search for it, to seek it out like it's silver, to search for it like it was gold. If someone gave you a treasure map and said, I guarantee you there is, a, there is a treasure chest full of gold and silver and jewels, I put it there. And I want you to have the adventure of finding it. And so I've put this treasure map together and all you've got to do is follow this map and, and seek it out and follow it and you will have this treasure. Scripture tells us that wisdom is there for the finding Wisdom is there for the taking. Wisdom is there to be sought and to be pursued and to be searched for. And he says we should do it as if it were gold. We should do it as if it were silver to have that kind of diligence, to have that kind of passion, to have that kind of um, uh, commitment to it. Because if you knew that there was a treasure chest of gold, you wouldn't want that map to fall in anybody's hands. Like you're going to be up late, um, pursuing it, going after it, like that's what you're going to devote your time to until you find it. Well, in the same way, that's what he says about wisdom. That's what he says about having this intimate knowledge of God to pursue the things that will lead you to it as if it were gold, to have a diligence, 
to have a passion for it. That's what healthy Christians do. If we're going to be healthy followers of Jesus, we have to have wisdom. We have to know what's true. We have to know what's right. We have to have a commitment to pursue after those things. We, we have to um, have a discernment to apply those to our life, to, to do them in the right way. Proverbs 16, 16 says, get wisdom. It's pretty, pretty self-explanatory, pretty blunt, pretty straightforward. Get wisdom. If there's some advice that I need to give you today, get wisdom. How much better it is than gold. And get understanding. It is preferable to silver. You can write this down. Wisdom is the greatest earthly treasure to possess. Wisdom is the greatest earthly treasure to possess. Do you know that over 70% of people who have had a major financial windfall or they've won, won like a multi-million dollar um, lottery, over 70% have gone bankrupt? Because money doesn't solve your problems. Gold and silver doesn't solve your problems. If you're a fool, you're just a rich fool, but your foolishness will cause you to be a poor fool. And that's why the scripture tells us, get wisdom, get understanding. The treasures, the, 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 the gold, the silver will do you no good if you're a fool. You can be wealthy and in prison for making foolish decisions. You can be wealthy and lonely for making foolish decisions. Silver and gold and jewels and treasure are meaningless without wisdom. Wisdom is the greatest earthly treasure to possess. Solomon said possessing wisdom is better than gold, better than silver. Understanding is better than those things. And so people spend so much of their life pursuing these earthly treasures, these earthly achievements, thinking that they will solve all of their problems. But God says those are poor choices when it comes to managing your life and living your life compared to wisdom and understanding. Here's what wisdom says to us in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. Accept my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can equal it. There's nothing in this life that you can desire that equals wisdom, equals having knowledge and understanding. It's the greatest possession that you can possess. I wonder, what are you seeking, believing it will add value to your life? What is it that you're seeking in this life? What is it that if you could achieve, that if you could possess it, you would think, man, I, I, I've, I've, achieved, I've got something great in life. This is going to solve my problems. All my problems are going to go away. This is going to give me the direction forward in my life. What is it that you're looking to? What is it that you think that if you achieve it or you accomplish it or you possess it, it's going to solve the problems in your life? Possessing gold, silver, and jewels might make you a who's who in society, but it's not going to solve your problems. It's not going to fix the brokenness. It's not going to solve the suffering. He says none of these things can compare to the value and worth of possessing wisdom. It is a waste of your life to seek and find $2 billion from the San Miguel if you don't seek and find wisdom and understanding. It's a waste of your life to pursue any achievement that you think will satisfy your inner longings, the longings of your soul, the longings of your life, if you don't have wisdom, if you don't have understanding. 
See, because we live in a broken world, every one of us have experienced the consequences of someone else's foolish decisions, someone else's poor choices, someone else's not willingness to, 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 to choose wisdom or understanding, but, but being a fool. Now, we all make mistakes. We all make poor choices, but I'm talking about on a consistent basis. I'm talking about the person who chooses to be a fool, the person who chooses not to pursue wisdom. Maybe the simple, when the Bible talks about in Proverbs, the simple man and the fool and the prudent, the prudent is the wise, the simple is the unlearned. And so for some, that might be you. You might be simple as a parent. You might be simple as a married couple. You might be simple as a husband because it's all new and you're learning. You might be simple as a follower of Jesus because you're a new follower of Jesus. And so it's unlearned, but the fool is the person who knows what is right and knows what is true. But instead of having the sound judgment and how to apply it to their life, they ignore it and they do the opposite. They do what comes natural to their flesh. They do what seems right in their mind. That's the fool. You know what's right, but you don't do it. You asked for guidance, you asked for direction, and then you ignored it. I've said this many times, and I know many pastors and probably youth pastors and other pastors and other ministry leaders who have said the exact same thing. At some point, there are certain people where you just say, you know what, I am not going to give you any more advice because the last 10 things that I gave you advice on, you ignored and you didn't do it. And now you continue to have problems. And so why keep giving you the advice and the wisdom that you're not going to follow? And you don't even have to be a pastor to be there. You can be a parent. You can be a friend. As friends, you know that. As friends, you've had people that come and say, what should I do in this situation? This is going on. How should I respond to this? And you give sound advice and sound wisdom because maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've been there and you watch them make the total opposite decision because that's what appealed to their flesh as what came easy or whatever else. They entered into the relationship, they made the foolish decision, and then time after time after time, they keep coming back to you because it's like a snowball and it just keeps adding up. And then you go, why are you even asking me? They're asking you because they want you to affirm their decision. You ask because you're only looking for a yes and a confirmation because if you're truly seeking wisdom, the prudent person would take that wisdom and apply it to their life according to the very definition of wisdom. It's having the sound judgment, the discernment to go, this is right and this is true. And no matter how hard it is and no matter what it costs me and no matter how difficult it is, this is what I'm going to do because this is what is right and true. That's the wise person. That's the prudent person. And so you might be simple today and that's okay. It's not an insult. You have the opportunity to either be a prudent man or woman, a prudent child or student, or to be a foolish man or woman, a foolish child or student. It's all dependent on what you do with the truth that is provided to you. So we've all been there we've, where we've faced the consequences of the fool. You can live your life for God's glory. You can live your life to honor him, but still face suffering because of your husband or wife chose to be a fool. Because someone in your life chose to be a fool. You can live for God and yet face the consequences of a fool and their foolish choices like the fool who chooses to drive drunk. Your family member, yourself, could have been the, the results of someone who caused an accident because they made a foolish decision. 
You can love Jesus and still experience pain because of another person's foolishness in one way or another. You can see all through, you can see even in the Old Testament, entire families that faced suffering and pain because of the foolish choice of a person who didn't want to obey God, didn't want to do what was right. And the whole family suffers. Sometimes the whole family suffers for the decision of a parent. Sometimes the spouse suffers for the decision of the other spouse. Sometimes the, 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 the relationship suffers because of a choice made. How many families have we seen on TV because of some of these financial investors who embezzled people's money and, and, and went and used their money and invested it in their way and stole it? And how many people were affected by that? Those were good people. They, they did nothing wrong. They just trusted the fool. And so we understand that we can do everything right in life. We can honor and glorify God. There's nothing that, that promises us that we won't face the consequences of someone else's foolish decision. But the reality is, is most of our problems and suffering are not someone else's fault. See, oftentimes we want to point the finger at other people rather than look at the foolish decisions that we've made. Yes, you have faced the consequences, and you have maybe suffered, and you have felt the consequences of a foolish decision, but how many foolish decisions have we made in our own life that we ignore because we don't want to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I made a foolish decision. In this moment, I was a fool. I might not be a fool all the time, but in this moment, I was a fool. In this moment, I made a foolish decision. No matter what anyone else did to us, we're still responsible for responding in the same way, in the right way. I've been here many times where I've not responded in the right way. And so then I end up making a foolish decision because I'm responding or reacting in a wrong way, and I didn't use sound judgment and discernment in responding to something that was done to me out of a foolish decision. Now there's two fools instead of one. And so we have to be willing to take ownership for our decisions. There's nothing we can do about past foolish decisions. All we can do is make a decision about how we're going to live today. Not even how you're going to live tomorrow. Jesus told us not to even worry about tomorrow. Don't even worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the things. I mean, if you got homework, kids, worry about homework. That's what you should do today, okay? You got a project coming up. That's a daily thing you should be working on, even though it's due in the future. But don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the decision that's going to come tomorrow or what's going to happen tomorrow. You need to focus on today. You need to focus on this happened to me. How am I going to respond in this moment because the majority of the boneheaded stupid decisions that cause you pain and difficulty are your decisions. Your spouse might be a fool, but no one held a gun to your head and made you marry said fool. There might have been people who warned you about said fool, but you didn't want to listen to them. Why? Because you mistook and you thought that that lust was love that infatuation was love, and there was no one telling you any different. We make the decisions. We make the choices. And therefore, we have to own those in our life. It could be overwhelming debt to obtain things that you can't afford, things that'll be in a closet, things that'll waste away. 
but you had to have it because you thought it was going to meet a need for you. You thought it was going to satisfy you. And so it's just piling up. It's adding up in the garage, up in the attic, in a storage building, and yet you're still paying for it. You don't even use it anymore. You've given it away. You sold it at a yard sale for about a fourth of what you paid for it, and yet you're still paying on it. That's the decision you made. No one forced you to make that decision. Once again, mistaking lust and infatuation for love. It's a decision you made. It was short-sightedness on your part. You got to take ownership for it. Coping through entertainment, alcohol, sex, drugs, other pleasures. You made those decisions. You put yourself in that position. Yes, someone might have tempted you. Yes, someone might have offered it to you. Yes, someone might have lied to you about what it would do for you. But you made the decision. And so therefore, you have to make the decision to do what is wise and what is right to, to escape that addiction, to escape that dependence. It could be unhealthy lifestyle. In your health, laziness, diet, whatever else, you make those decisions. What you eat, what you put in your body, what you don't do, watching TV, binging Netflix, whatever, rather than doing the things that would benefit you, those are your choices, no one else's. Poor career choices. You chose what jobs to take. You chose what career to pursue. And let's just be honest in our society. You chose what degree to go get. Studying well blubber or whatever, you know, I mean, all these, you know, searching how to find unicorns or whatever. I got a degree. I'm a master. I got a master's degree and all this crazy stuff. And then you're like, hey, I want to get a job that makes six figures. What's your degree in? Finding unicorns. And I owe $250,000 for it. You made that decision. No one else forced that decision on you. You might have listened to a fool. You might have listened to manipulation. You might have listened to a hustler. But you made the decision. We have to own that. Relationship issues, refusal to forgive, holding on to grudges. There's a song in country called Foolish Pride. And it's all about one spouse and the other spouse not forgiving one another when they, when they easily could, but they choose not to. That, that's a majority of my story of my life, holding on to grudges and what the after effects of that, the overflow of that in my life. I made those decisions. I made those choices. Today, you can hold firm that you're not going to forgive your spouse. You, you can hold firm, and we see it. Uh, it it's, it's, it's ridiculous to look on social media and to see where um, uh, over the, just the last couple of months, there's been two like major people, and some of y'all might know one, um, because it's in the news right now, two big name people who are like uh, potentially going through a divorce. And there was one about a month ago. Thankfully, it showed a picture of them like holding hands and it looks like they're reconciling. But, but to see the responses, to, to, to read the comments, to see people laughing about a marriage falling apart. And, and so you can choose to be foolish today and know that you can reconcile, but choose not to do the right thing. And you can watch your relationship, you can watch your marriage crumble apart and look back one day, and something that could have been saved and reconciled through the power of the gospel could have been saved, but you chose not to because of foolish pride. You chose not to because of choosing foolishly. You have to own that, willingly, blatantly ignoring and disobeying God's 
word always leads us to despair, always leads us to destruction. Today, what troubles and pain are you dealing with in this season of your life? What is it that you're trying to cope with? What is it that you're dealing with? How have you contributed to those troubles with your own foolish decisions, with your own ignoring wisdom, your own ignoring what is right and what is true and applying that to action in your life? How can wisdom benefit you in solving that problem? How can you put into practice what you're hearing today to listen for wisdom, to seek wisdom, to search for it, to apply it to your life, to find the appropriate solution to what you're dealing with? The question is this, as we get ready to close, do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise? I think for every one of us, it should be a resounding yes. The problem is, are we willing to do what it means to be wise? I mean, we might say, I want to intimately know God, but are you willing to do the conditional things that we see in Scripture that leads to that intimate knowledge of God? So do you want to be wise? I think for all of us as a parent, we need wisdom. As husbands and wives, we need wisdom. As business owners, we need wisdom. As citizens, we need wisdom. As employees, we need wisdom. As followers of Jesus, we need wisdom. We all need wisdom. And I close with this, James chapter 1, verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Every one of us lacks wisdom. We do not have the full knowledge and understanding of anything in life. We do not we cannot know the full mind of God. We, we can know his mind and we can know his heart, but we, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's no way we can fully know the mind of God, but we should be pursuing it and we should desire it. And so he says that if we lack wisdom in anything, we should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. James 1.5, and I'm closing very quickly with this. I just want you to see real quick what it says here because it's three quick things, and it's simply this. There's a recognition if you lack wisdom. That means you recognize that you need wisdom. I lack wisdom in this. So I'm not just going to do what feels natural to me. I'm not just going to do what seems right in my own mind but I'm going to listen for wisdom. I'm going to ask for wisdom. I'm going to seek out wisdom because I lack it in this area of my life. I lack it in this season of my life. And so there's a recognition. I lack wisdom. The second thing is this. He should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. There's a request. I acknowledge I lack wisdom, and now I'm going to ask God for it. And the Bible tells us when we lack wisdom and ask God, he won't rebuke us, but he will give us generously that which we lack. Think about that. That's a promise. And that's the third thing. And it will be given to him. There's a recognition, there's a request, but then there's a promise. So if you lack wisdom, you're without excuse. When we make foolish decisions, we're without excuse. Why? Because we either didn't recognize we needed it, we didn't request it, or we did and we got the answer as to what is true and right and we ignored it. We just did our own thing, which makes us a fool. And so there's a promise. This is where faith is activated. It's an act of faith. 
to recognize I don't have wisdom. But it's an act of faith to say, God, I believe and I trust that you have what I'm missing. You have what I'm lacking. And so therefore, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to yield myself. And I'm going to ask you for it. And we don't know exactly how he might give it. He might give it through supernatural inspiration. He might give it through his word. He might bring it to mind. He might solidify it in your spirit. He might bring someone along who gives you the truth and gives you what is right. We don't know how he fulfills that, but he promises that he will fulfill it. And so if you desire to be a healthy follower of Jesus, a healthy Christian, wisdom is vital. Next week, we're going to continue this thought to look at what scripture tells us some of the benefits of wisdom. Because if we lack it, we can ask for it. And once we have it, how does scripture tells, tell us that it benefits us? Because if we're going to be healthy Christians, then we need to benefit from the, the wisdom of God, knowing what is right and what is true, and having discernment and sound judgment to apply it to our lives. And so when we apply it to our lives, what are some of the things that scripture tells us we can look forward to benefiting us in our life? And so I would encourage you, if you're a visitor with us today, I would love to have you back for that. Make it a priority, church, to come and to listen to God's word so that we can apply it. And so next week, we'll continue this thought. But as I pray today, maybe God's brought an area into your life. Maybe it's some trouble you got yourself into because of a foolish decision. And, And maybe today you need to ask God to give you wisdom on doing what is right and what is true to find the solution out of that. Or maybe there's something in front of you. Maybe there's a decision that you need to make. Maybe there's something that you you don't know the direction forward. You're confused and, and you need wisdom. You need to know what is right, what is true, what is according to the heart and the will of the Father. Whatever that is, take this moment to ask him for the wisdom that you lack. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the promise that we can come to you in faith if we lack wisdom, if we lack an understanding of what is right and true, and we can ask you, and you won't get on to us for that. You won't rebuke us for that. You won't begrudge us because of that. In fact, the scripture tells us that you will lavish it on us generously. So Lord, there's areas in every one of our life that we need wisdom. It might just be knowing you more, having that intimate knowledge of you. God, whatever it is, whatever in this audience, whatever online is being dealt with, whatever people are facing in this moment, may they trust you enough to ask you for that wisdom. And Father, may that be a daily practice because as we, as we go to jobs, as we go to school, as we go into the community, as we make decisions. Do I purchase this house? Do I purchase this vehicle? How do I respond in this situation that's tense? How how do I heal from this brokenness? How do I deal with this temptation? Father, every aspect of our life, we need wisdom. And so help us, remind us daily to seek you and to seek your mind and to seek your truth. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.